Hello and welcome to the final episode of Valley West Cinemas. That's right, we're ending it. This is the end. Just as the real Valley West Cinemas movie theater closed its doors 20 years ago, we're uh, closing up shop here too. Joining me today to eulogize the show is Sean. Welcome back, Sean. It's good to be back. So for today's final episode, we're going to talk about, well, why it's ending. For anyone who's interested in podcasting, we'll discuss a little bit about how it started, some hardships, some of the things we enjoyed. And then we're going to talk to Sean about filmmaking because Sean and I have both made movies, not to any real <laughs> degrees of success, but we've tried. You know, we've, we've made stuff. We have stuff that's out there. You can watch it now. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then we are going to do a mini elimination episode of Freddy versus Jason because Sean and I are both big fans of A Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. And it's an episode we've always wanted to do. So we're going to do it for the end here. So we do still have our red pens and our list ready for one more go around. For the final showdown of Freddy yeah. versus Jason. The last time, the last movie's playing here. So why are we ending? The sad reality is nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> With some exceptions. I mean, I say nobody in a general sense, but like I have a cousin who likes the show. My brother and his family listen to the show. But even among strangers, like on our Instagram and Twitter, I don't get comments. I don't get responses really to anything. The long and short of it is the show was not successful. The downloads have never really been there. I would say that with each episode, we have about 12 to 17 dedicated listeners. We have somebody in Latvia who's downloaded every episode. I always like when I see Canada or Japan with somebody listening to our show. That's, that's awesome. But ultimately, each episode tops out at around 50 downloads, which is a very small number for all the effort required. Because if you make a podcast, it's not just sitting down and recording. Each episode takes me about eight hours to edit. And yeah, I could just put out whatever. I'm, I'm probably a perfectionist, but we say uh and um a lot. And until you record yourself, you don't realize that you, the human mouth makes a lot of saliva and clicky sounds. And I edit those out because I don't want to hear it. And, and maybe I am a perfectionist. But for the amount of time that goes into this, there really hasn't been any return. I like listening to the show. I love listening to myself, which I know sounds potentially awful. Aside from that joy of hearing it myself, the show just hasn't really gone anywhere. It grew to about 30 downloads initially with each episode and over time reached about 50. That's just not enough. Like really, ultimately, like Sean, I mean, you can probably answer this, but at what point do you know to quit? I think the key is allowing yourself a full year to sort of jump mm -hmm. in head first, right? And I think with podcasts, you have the luxury of going a full year and then sort of being able to just cut it off. Whereas, for example, if you're making a movie, you're a year in, you're not done. It's like now it's harder to turn your back because you've got a half-edited movie or maybe mm -hmm. a movie that's fully edited without the score yet. So that kind of gives you that extra motivation to keep it going. But I think with the podcast, the element of time is sort of on your side in that you can dedicate and, and create a, a full year of content step back, look at it, and go, okay, this is it. And we've given it a year. Yes, we have. Yeah, it's been 44 episodes. Tara has done a bunch. You've done, I think this will be number eight. Okay. John and Nikki were here for two each. And I appreciate that. I, I did not like doing the solo episodes. There was a while there where about every other episode was me by myself. Those ones always performed the poorest. To this date right now, the best picture episode is my worst performing. And I want to talk about movies that are nominated for awards and eliminate them because the whole show started because of another podcast that I like called Unspooled. Unspooled and Now Playing, those are my favorites. 
they went through the American Film Institute's top 100 American films ever made. And at the end, they eliminated 60 of them. And in my mind, I thought, why not keep going? What if you have just the 10 best movies ever made and you have to eliminate all but three? That's where the seed for this show came from. Because if you put Casablanca, Gone with the Wind, Citizen Kane, Wizard of Oz, all next to each other, just those four, how do you eliminate one of those? And I crave that. I wanted that discussion, the hemming and hawing, and just trying to figure out, okay, how do we do this? How do we really eliminate these films from history? And actually, that was originally what I was going to do. This wasn't just going to be like per episode. My perspective was going to be eliminating from history. And so I would never eliminate Pulp Fiction. But say, for example, we did a John Travolta episode and Pulp Fiction was eliminated. That film would no longer exist. So if we did a Tarantino episode, Pulp Fiction wouldn't be on there. Every choice we made would be permanent. Oh, that's interesting. That would have been an interesting spin. But those episodes, though, the ones that were about things like sequels from 1989 or Best Picture nominees, those didn't perform well. The ones that did the best were the abortion episode, the Star Trek episode, the very first episode of the show is the second most downloaded, and then Johnny Depp, and then Vic Morrow, the one I did with you about John Landis and the death of Vic Morrow. Yes. That's the fourth highest downloaded. People love true crime. We have to put an asterisk on the crime part because he was acquitted (laughs) for legal reasons. (laughs) We have to say that again. Um, But I love recording, like sitting down and talking. Do you like recording? Do I like recording? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I do. I think it's it's fun. It's sometimes hard to think about something compelling to say. Sometimes it's difficult to do that. But I do do enjoy it. I enjoy getting uh, my opinion out there. I think that maybe people disagree, but that's, that's the fun of it. That's always the approach that I try and take. But uh, it's definitely been fun because I love movies and talking about movies is always a, a ticket that I'm going to entertain. I wish people had different opinions than you, but no one has told me their opinions in reaction to our show. I don't know if anyone has listened and disagreed with you because I have never received an email or a tweet about an episode. It's amazing, isn't it? Sometimes yeah. you, you can say a little thing that you don't think is ever going to amount to anything and, and it can. And sometimes you can do an entire podcast and hear nothing. It's very interesting. On Twitter, you can see the data for anything that you tweet out. And the tweet of mine that had the most interactions and responses was just about the movie Tremors. That's interesting. Yeah. And I love Tremors. And I guess there's a significant fan population on the internet, which is great. It's a great movie. It's one of my all-time favorites, top five all time. But out of all the times I've tried to interact with people under the, the Valley West Cinema's socials, I get next to nothing in response, really, ever. And, you know, maybe it's me. Maybe I don't know how to sell myself on social media. Yeah, social media is a tricky cat, man. (laughs) I've never really been into it. Um, Certainly, uh, for one of the films that we did, Expulsion, uh, we had a pretty good following there, especially when it first came out. And then there were some things we did with Film Threat and others as well to get some attention. But other than that, I and and that was a paid marketing campaign. You know what I mean? So Yeah. And the Expulsion Twitter account only has how many followers? 3,000, 3,500 back in the day. But that's not organic growth because it was was a paid marketing campaign. But organic growth for something like this has proven to be very, very difficult. doesn't mean that we're certainly advocating that people give up and don't try because an original idea can certainly carry you a long way. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think that the lesson here is that there has to be at least some kind of word of mouth generated, whether it be through a small marketing campaign or just getting a few people that have a larger reach involved. Spending money, essentially. A little bit, a little bit. And I did not spend any money on this show other than a few microphones. And a nice recorder that we had left over. Well, I was able to borrow that from you, thankfully. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I do love recording, though. I love talking about movies. I'm such a movie nerd. 
At one point in time, there was a short film documentary made about me and my goal to watch 10,000 movies. It's out there. You can find it. I am now at about 11,700. I've slowed down. Once I hit that 10,000 goal, I really focused on catching up on TV shows and video games, but I've still managed to watch 1,700 movies in the last few years. I am disappointed that the show is ending. When I started, I joked that if I had seven regular listeners, I'd be happy. And it turns out that that's not true. I want more. (laughs) Editing is so difficult. I wish I could be okay with just putting out the raw recording. I wish I could just do that because if we only had to record and I just had to click a button to put it out, I would be more than happy with the, you know, 40-ish regular listeners or regular downloads. But I spend so much time on editing and that's my own fault. Maybe, I don't know. I, I want us to sound good and I want people to enjoy listening because I've listened to too many poorly edited podcasts. I don't want to hear long dead spaces and uhs and ums. You want the recording to flow. Right. I want it to be a pleasant listen. And I love going back and forth and making the hard decisions. I've said before that I don't pre-plan my top three. When I eliminate movies, I do it organically through the conversation. Just by looking at a list, I kind of know what I like but I never pre-select my top three. And I love going through a list of movies. And I always wanted each episode to have like 70 movies. I wanted to just like be brutal and just knock out (laughs) movies. Not a lot of people have seen movies the way I have. I've seen so many. And so just arranging for episodes was difficult because not everyone has seen all, you know, Stallone's movies. Right. Yeah, there was certainly uh, times that I would need to take your list, which you'd always give me ahead of time, and rewatch or watch some movies sometimes for the first time. But certainly there were a few titles that I had to, to either rewatch because I hadn't seen them for a long time or on very specific occasions actually watch them for the first time. I usually don't have to do anything, but I watch a lot of movies. That's right. <laughs> yes. I do regret not doing a Spike Lee episode or a John Carpenter episode. I had always planned to do those. In fact, those were some of the ones I looked forward to the most. But again, that difficulty of finding somebody else who has seen all of those movies because I love Spike Lee and John Carpenter. I love those movies. And that would be a very difficult conversation to have. Spoilers, I guess, for an episode that never happened. I would probably eliminate Halloween. I know we did the Halloween franchise in our Child's Play episode and Scream episode. Halloween is a classic, but I like Big Trouble in Little China more. I like Christine more. My favorite John Carpenter film, so spoiler alert, would have been... For the non-existent episode. For the (laughs) non-existent episode, it would have been the thing. Carpenter has made so many good movies. The few towards the end of his filmography aren't great like Ghosts of Mars and Vampires and Village of the Damned, but even those are watchable. I've mentioned before that Valley West Cinemas was the name of the movie theater at my childhood mall. Back in the day, you used to have to call movie theaters to get the recording to see what what movies were playing there. You had to wait for the newspaper to come out on that day, or you could call them the night before if you stayed up late to get the recording for the new week, because we didn't have the internet. We had no way of knowing, okay, what movies are they getting the next day? Or you could call your trusty old movie phone. Well, this was even before Movie Phone. Movie Phone was the late 90s when it was introduced. This is the late 80s, early 90s. This is is like Gremlins 2 era. To this day, I'll tell you right now, I'm going to do it right now. So Valley West Cinemas, they had a spiel. The phone number was 9393309. And it always started with, hello, and thank you for calling Valley West 6 Cinemas, where we have the finest motion pictures for the low, low price of only $1 for any seat, anytime. On Tuesday, admission is only 50 cents, and also only on Tuesday, enjoy a large 32-ounce soft drink absolutely free with the purchase of a large popcorn. I wow. still I still have that memorized. like <laughs> Because I would, at 9.30 every Thursday, I would call over and over and wait for the new recording so I would know what came out the next day. And speaking of Gremlins 2, I remember staying the night at my friend Josh's house and calling my mom and being so excited that they're getting Gremlins 2 tomorrow. <laughs> I actually, I think 
for me, I did use movie phone later, as you mentioned, it mm-hmm. came out in the nineties. Prior to that, it was always the newspaper, I think. Yeah. 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 Because what other choice did you have? Right. If you wanted to see what was playing on a Wednesday, you had to buy the Wednesday paper or go to the theater. Right. I had wanted to do a ultra mega elimination episode where Tara and I would each take all of the surviving films from all of our episodes and have to eliminate all but three of those. And I was going to do that with you, Sean, but you were on the Star Wars episode. You're going to pick Star Wars and Empire. Like, so there's no real point in, in doing that with you. Like, there's no, there's no scenario where you're not picking those two because I know how much of a fan you are. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Empire Strikes Back was the best film ever made. (laughs) Um, like, I don't know. Scarface, too. Yeah. Yeah. Empire Strikes Back and Scarface. Really? Scarface? I love Scarface. Interesting. Huh. I mean, I like Scarface, too, especially that soundtrack. Oh, man, that soundtrack is, is awesome. Fun fact, did you know that the soundtrack to Scarface was the flashback radio station in Grand Theft Auto 3? I did not know that. That's interesting. So speaking of failures, Sean, we made movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You and I made a movie called Expulsion. We spent a long time on it. It took very long to come out because someone, Sean, took forever to edit it. Yes, I did. The movie did come out. It came out during COVID. I really wish we could have gotten it into theaters because movie theaters in 2020 were starving for films. Right. But I mean, we're, we're nobodies essentially. Like we don't live in Hollywood. We're not around filmmakers. And so it's very hard. Like every once in a while we make a connection. That's really lucky. Like I know some people, not to any extent to where I could ask for a favor, but we made expulsion. It came out. Yep. Financially, it was a failure, but then we also did get into some film festivals and we won some nominations and some awards, actually, from film festivals. The we SAG, won Best Director at one. Yeah, we won Best Director at the, uh, at the Golden Film Awards. The one that I really wanted to see was the Roswell, which is a, obviously sci-fi. It's a oh, sci-fi yeah, okay. film yeah. festival. We got the into Ro- the Roswell we, Film Fest and COVID. In. And we got into the Roswell Film Fest. We were getting ready to put the deliverables together, and then it got canceled because of COVID. So yeah, yeah, this was right the, in early 2020. Yeah, that was that. That would have been a fun trip, though, to go. I've never been to Roswell. The movie has somewhat harsh reviews. Like I'm not immune to its flaws. I know it has issues. I still think that we probably made a mistake in not trimming the beginning. Like that first act probably mm-hmm. could have been shorter. There's a lot of exposition in there that I didn't want to cut. And part of the problem is I've said before. Directors and writers should not edit their own movies because you never want to cut anything. Sean, you are one of the directors with me and you edited it as well. And so you love the footage and I am one of the leads in the film and I don't want to cut me from the movie. (laughs) And so we sort of ended up in this position where maybe we should have cut stuff and didn't because we're a little too close to it. Like we should have given it to a stranger maybe. I've heard both very positive and very negative things about my acting, so who knows? Yep. And it's it's expulsion and it's available. You can find it on all the major platforms. Right. Apple TV. Not to be yet. Not to be yet for free, but it will be there at some point. To be is great. I really wish it was on there. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know I've been you bugging you. The only place to see it in 4K would be on Apple TV. Okay. And you and I did a movie 25 years ago, just about. Yep. Back then, video looked like Kind of like camcorder footage, let's be honest. Yeah. It didn't turn into digital that we know today until much later. But this was 97 slash 98, and we made a movie on digital. Yes, we did. It was uh, one of the first digital camcorders that we shot that on. Yeah, The Hands of a Madman. I am a child in it. Again, I do have a a smaller role. What was the budget on that? Uh, The budget on The Hands of a Madman was, I want to say, 
from purchase a camera all the way through everything was about ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand is nothing for a movie. Like that's crazy. It's a fun movie, you know. It's it's a good watch. It looks. It definitely looks like a camcorder film, but there's some camera work in it and some acting that is better than what you would think for a ten thousand dollar movie. But it's definitely cheap, <laughs> right? Yeah, and it's you know it uh, it's available on Amazon Prime for free as long as you're a Prime member, you can yeah. watch it. Uh, be so, forgiving if you watch it. Please yes. be very forgiving. <laughs> uh, we actually uh, get about seven to twelve cents in royalties a month off of that. Still, so. <laughs> seven cents. I don't think I got paid at all, other than free lunches. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. You went on to do some other movie work. I did a few web things, like I I did background work on the Guild web series. I was just an extra until a tiny role in season six. I worked on, um, as a producer, on a movie called Rumors of Wars with Eric Roberts. And then also I did um, some work on a film called Little Savages. With Jamie Kennedy. Is, yeah, with Jamie Kennedy. That's a, a, a kind of a kid's movie. It's kind of like a It's Goonies. a kid's movie, yeah. And I still have Eric Roberts' jacket from Rumors of Wars. I still have it upstairs in my closet. Oh, nice. Which is okay. extra funny because he is Emma Roberts' dad and Julia Roberts' brother. And I have his jacket, which is amusing to me. Yeah, working with Eric Roberts is when I found out that Wikipedia pages are not always that accurate. Oh my God. Did you <laughs> Wikipedia him before you picked him up from yes, the airport? Yes, and we wanted to get the right food. And it says in Wikipedia that he's a vegan. Um, and so when, when we called to the green room to get some food ready for him, and he said, I'll take some bacon. And so <laughs> we, were, we were scrambling around to get uh, the right order for him. But he was definitely an, an animated character in terms of his, his demeanor, mm-hmm. but uh, definitely Definitely was it was very unique and, and fun to work with him. He actually you can see his presence when he steps out and, and begins to, to say his lines. It's a weird thing to point at, but real actors, I'll put in quotes, real actors, you can tell like they do have a presence. Yes, yes, they do. Yeah, when they walk on set and begin to to give their lines, they almost transform an expulsion. Lar Park Lincoln, who is, is in a, one of the Jason movies, we're one of the Jason about. movies we're going to yeah. talk about. She was the lead in uh, in Part Seven, the the girl with the kinetic powers. Um, I got to, and you did as well, got to direct her and work with her. Right. And it was a lot of fun and a heck of an experience. But let's be honest, it was frustrating, probably more so afterwards. Like, it was a lot of fun writing it and planning it and casting it and filming it. There were some frustrations filming it, but most of it was like, we don't have the right thing or maybe this thing's going to be broken. <laughs> but right. afterwards, though, it was like really when it's like, uh, how do we get this done and how do we get it out? Yeah, I think the mistakes that we made on that were I didn't I wanted it to be the best. We had like a mediocre camera. So it was a 4K, you know, a mediocre decent camera, but I I wanted to shoot it raw because I wanted to get yeah. all the absolute and I best you quality. <laughs> I, I I've always described our relationship as being co-writers and co-directors as 5149 like <laughs> you're the money guy, so it's more up to you, but I'm I'm going to argue and I I did not want raw. I wanted not to look bad, but movies like Scarface, for example, I don't think Scarface should be in 4K. I know it's out there on 4K UHD, but some movies need to look a certain way. And I didn't want Expulsion to look so sharp that it looked fake. And it was absolutely shot at the right frame rate. There was depth of field that was used, but it absolutely was, it's very crisp, almost too crisp. Yeah. There's no film grain and most movies add fake grain. Yeah, they, they add grain. Yeah. yeah. They'll add for scanned the, uh, 35 millimeter film or 70 millimeter film or even sometimes 16 to get that grainy sort of feel. We yeah. didn't do that. We opted to just keep it clean mm-hmm. and try to make it look more 
sci-fi, but it ended up coming out looking fake. It looks fake. <laughs> yeah. So for those that- what took a long, I'm sorry, what took a long time to edit it, just to kind of go back to the comment you made earlier, the visual effects, as much as I wanted to do all of them myself, I didn't have that skill set. I did basically did one third of the movie one year, one third of the right. movie like eight months later. And it came out like what? Three years after we actually shot it? It came out October 2020, right. and we shot it August of 2017? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was a while. It's our movie, so I know we're a little biased, but I do think the score is pretty awesome. Yeah. Just to double back real quick, we were talking about film grain. For those that don't know, film gets grainy. If you ever watch anything like 1996 or older and you pause it, sometimes like in the black sections of the screen, there will be a sort of gray haze or like a bunch of little dots. That's film grain. It's natural. What makes a movie look like what we feel or what we recognize as a movie, there's a very specific look as opposed to what like a soap opera looks like. That comes from film grain. And digital film doesn't have grain. And so some movies, any modern movie really, they will digitally add fake grain to the film to make it look more filmic because then otherwise you end up in a situation like we had with Expulsion where it's so sharp and clean that it's unreal. Like the way some people complain about 4K or 8K TVs, that it looks too good and that it looks fake. Right, right. But yeah, so there's that. Uh, any other movie stuff? Yeah, and then um, so more recently, we had a couple of films that we've done uh, in addition to Explosion. Oh, I almost forgot. I was ready to jump to Freddy vs. Jason <laughs> and I completely forgot that, yeah, I've made some other movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we had two other movies. Um, one of them you wrote, Aaron. Right. Uh, and I produced and then or produced second unit, actually. Yeah, yeah I and made then the, one of those dumb shark movies. Yeah, yeah, one of those dumb shark movies. And then the other one you acted in, you had a front and center role. It's like a 20-second cameo in a vampire western called Billy the Kid that just came out on video. And I uh, produced that one. And you and also have like three roles in it, too. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you and I sold a script, wow, seven years ago? Yep. But they never made the movie, which happens if you follow filmmaking at all. I'm sure you know that there are plenty of scripts that are sold that never get made, and this was one of them. And I thought the script was pretty great. We had a lot of very different drafts based on producer demands, and I wish the film had been made. That would have been cool because, like with the Silly Shark movies, people might say, well, why would you do that? Why would you make one of those, you know? I want my name on something. I don't care if it's good or bad. I want something to be made and released with my name on it. That's how you start. You can get better. Even George Clooney did Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Even James Cameron did and was fired from Piranha 2. Like, you got to start somewhere. I don't care if it's good or bad. I just want something made. Yeah, I feel that Suspended, which is the name of, that the, was film the, name of the film that we, that we wrote, was the best screenplay that we've written. And... I think that can be backed up, and, and you're very humble on this, but there were some pretty decent-sized names. I'm not going to give them out specifically here because big actors read a lot of scripts, let's be honest, but they gave some good feedback. Yeah, some very, uh, very famous names actually read our script, which is, um, I don't know, humbling? Yes. I'll go ahead and hint that a major Marvel actor, who I have sometimes referred to as a charisma vacuum, did in fact read the script prior to joining Marvel. <laughs> yes, before they were a, a household name, but still had done some stuff at that point. Yeah, yeah. And the director that they were going to have direct it was Brett Leonard, Leonard, the guy who did Lawnmower Man, guy who made Lawnmower yeah. Man. And as such is the case with Hollywood, he and somebody else rewrote our script, and I read the rewrite, and it was nothing like our original. I recognized lines of dialogue, 
but they changed it from a semi-futuristic setting to straight up Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> yeah. You know, I with think like Wolverine powers. There, there are no Wolverine powers in our script. What you're alluding to is this. You have a talented writer that's written a really good screenplay. And producers and investors get behind it because of the screenplay. Because at that mm-hmm. point, that's all they have. Maybe some conceptual art. Right. So they get behind it. The director then wants to change everything about the screenplay. Investors find out, and they then want to pull out. And I think that's what happened. Is he changed it so much, and so they just backed. They just backed out. And a lot of what you're describing happens with movies that are made as well. To where somebody writes a really good script, the producer says that, "Oh, we love it," and they buy it. And even though they said they love it they then want to immediately change it because the producer wants to put their ideas and their stamp on it. And then the director wants to put their ideas and their stamp on it, which is why you sometimes hear about these amazing scripts that turn into awful movies. Right. So are you ready to do the last elimination? I am ready. I've got my red pen uh, sharpened here. All right. <laughs> red pen sharpened? Heck yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to correct that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. That's, I, that was purposeful. All right. So... There are seven Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Part one, part two, Freddy's Revenge. Part three, The Dream Warriors. Part four, The Dream Master. Part five, The Dream Child. Part six, Freddy's Dead. Part seven, New Nightmare. And then Freddy vs. Jason. In the Friday the 13th franchises, there's parts one, two, three, and part four, The Final Chapter. Part five, A New Beginning. Part six, Jason Lives. Part seven, I refer to as Jason vs. Tina, but it's The New Blood. Part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan. Part nine, Jason Goes to Hell. Part ten, Jason X. And then there were remakes of both Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. There was a lot of movies. We do have a unique situation here that we've never dealt with before, where we actually have one of the actresses as a friend of mine, still, I still talk to her every once in a while. We both directed her in a film. So how do we remove that bias or should we remove that bias from this process? I don't see any issue. The movie's the movie. Okay. So we're we're agreeing that we're going to... Um, eliminate the movie based on the value of the movie itself, not Obviously. our relationship with the people that were... Okay. Yeah, of course. It. For me, the immediate easy ones to cut are Friday the 13th parts 1, 2, and 3. And I know we have a rule about sequels, about whether or not a sequel can exist without its original. We're going to kind of ignore that because most of these do really stand alone. There are some that are more directly connected, like Nightmare parts 4 and 5, but otherwise... With each movie, usually Freddy and Jason are defeated, and in the next one, they're just alive, and who cares? The franchises don't care too much about continuity, so uh, it's fine. My obvious ones to cut would be New Nightmare. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. we're going to have to talk about that. And uh, New Nightmare, and then um, Jason Goes to Hell. Oh my god, okay. <laughs> and uh, This might take longer. And both of the remakes. Let's talk about the remakes then. I agree, I'm cutting both of those as well. The Nightmare on Elm Street remake... Part of that problem with that for me is it's too similar. Why remake the same movie? And they do add some elements, but it's so exactly the same that I don't know what the point is. And for Friday the 13th, that franchise is so silly and fun. The remake is not fun at all. And I don't mind them taking it, you know, quote, seriously, which is a silly word in this franchise, but it's just too depressing and it's not fun. Like it's it's more like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, which was actually, you know, pretty okay, but it has that same sort of dire feeling. It's just too unhappy. It's not a pleasant film. If that's what they were going for, they succeeded, sure, but ugh, I just don't enjoy it. I did like the element 
of adding Jason's underground tunnel network. I don't need an explanation <laughs> for how come everyone runs, Jason walks, and yet he catches up to them. Yeah, that was that was clever. I don't know that I like it as part of the lore, because it's kind of cool to have him be mysterious and just show up in front of you all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. So I don't like it from that aspect, but it was kind of a neat idea to, to explain that if, if somebody was going to. It didn't need explaining. Not to get too nerdy, though, but don't explain away the supernatural element and then have the top of his head chewed off, but he's still alive somehow. Either you're trying to make this gritty and realistic, or you're not. And so having him pop up, I'm alive, at the end, doesn't make any sense with a universe that you've established. Right. And I know there's, film. I know there's rights issues with Friday the 13th that are holding it back to this day. Yeah, just make another one. My biggest issue with Friday the 13th, the remake, is that it didn't need a remake. Just well, make another not- Jason movie. Make a Jason in Snow. We all want yeah. to see it. It's kind of not a remake, though. Like, I I call it a remake because it's called Friday the 13th and it's a reboot, but it is by no means a remake of the first Friday movie because Jason is not the killer in the first Friday. (laughs) Right. Just make another Jason movie. Well, you could argue that it doesn't disregard what came before. That could be just Jason 20 years later. I don't know. Do you have any objection to me cutting Friday the 13th parts 1, 2, and 3? I actually do. Well, I'm cutting them because I think they're boring. But I loved Potato Sack Jason. Okay, so for those that don't know, part three is when Jason wears his hockey mask for the first time. But in part two, he wears a sack over his head. With one eye cut out. With one eye cut out. Yeah. And I also like part three because you know how I love 3D. I have a soft spot for 3D. The disco soundtrack is amazing. (laughs) I have that on vinyl. But I think they're boring. I actually rewatched the whole franchise recently. And I don't like one, two, or three really much at all. Jason is so iconic. Freddy is iconic. And he doesn't really become the Jason that we know until at least part four and maybe even part six. Like if you picture in your mind what Jason Voorhees is like, it's probably the part six and on Jason. We don't think of Jason as he was in those first few movies. Yeah, I, I will go ahead and agree with you, and I will cut part one for right now. I It definitely started off something very, very um, cool and had one of the, the most clever twists in cinematic horror history. In 1980, you don't expect the nice older lady to be the killer. It was a shock. They ruined it for everybody after that. But when that movie came <laughs> out, yeah, that was actually pretty shocking. And the decapitation showing the hands touching like the neck stump was brutal. And I know that they did try to one-up them with Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> but uh... Well, all of those movies copied each other because <laughs> the big horror boom in the 80s from Halloween in 78 and on, they were all just constantly well, chasing that Halloween money. Um, You mentioned New Nightmare. I will go ahead and cut it. I have some problems with it. It predates Scream as far as being meta. Like in Scream, when characters talk about having seen Freddy movies, several years before that, New Nightmare, it's a world where Freddy is a film franchise. And it's kind of a neat idea. Yeah, I just I, I just cut it because I don't feel like breaking the fourth wall was something that was fit for that film. I don't have a problem with that per se. I've actually it's actually grown on me a little bit over the years. Like for some reason I have no problem with Deadpool breaking the fourth wall. Like I actually like it. Well, is it breaking the fourth wall or is it just that self aware that they're a movie? Which is fine, I guess. I, yeah, I just for a Friday Thirteenth or a Nightmare on Elm Street film, that just doesn't fly with me. So that's why. I, I mean, if they'd waited ten years to make it, you probably would have loved it. But maybe it was too soon. Maybe, maybe. I'll, I'll concede. Perhaps Jason goes to hell pissed me off because it's basically the hidden, which is a great horror film. They made Jason a slug demon thing that could jump bodies. 
I appreciate them trying something new. And it had one of the most amazing posters. I love the Jason Goes to Hell poster where it's the silver mirrored hockey mask and the serpent going through the eyes. But just as we've said with Prometheus, I don't need an explanation. Don't explain to me why Jason is a deadite from Evil Dead, basically, why he's unkillable. Don't tell me he's some demon. Just like in Freddy's Dead, I don't need dream demons giving Freddy his powers. He was murdered. He died in an uncontrollable rage, and it created a grudge. I've seen that movie, too. That's how Freddy comes back. It's fine. Uh, So I'm going to cut Jason Goes to Hell as well. There's stuff to like in it, but you cannot go into it thinking it's a Jason movie, because it's not. Yeah, my big problem with Jason Goes to Hell, and I agree that I do appreciate trying something new, trying something different. There were some rights things that changed with that. New Line, I believe that yeah, was Yeah, New Line first. acquired it from Paramount because Paramount had been trying to get rid of the franchise for years because they were ashamed that this trash horror franchise was making a bunch of money. They were able to sell the character rights to New Line, which is why the next three movies were called Jason. Jason Goes to Hell, Jason X, Freddy vs. Jason. They weren't allowed to call it Friday the 13th. What I could not stand is that one of the things that I absolutely loved as a kid watching these Friday 13th movies. As Jason a kid? Should we hell. touch on that? Well, Jason <laughs> Jason Goes to Hell came out. I was still a kid, but I was a No, no, but adult. I mean like us watching these movies as children. Yeah, like, yeah. In the 80s, kids watching scary movies was such a common thing. I watched Class of Newcomb High as like an eight-year-old. Eight-year-olds should not be watching Class of Newcomb <laughs> right, High. <laughs> right. What struck me, what I loved about it was that it was like one continuous movie. A lot of times they'd even open with a little bit of snippets from the previous movie. Which is because back then there wasn't a home video market yet. And so each Jason movie would start with a two or three minute recap around a campfire of the previous films. Right. By the time we got to like part seven and eight though, there were VHSs. I'd rent the movies and literally record and make my own tape. And then I'd pause it and then put the next one in and start it up. So it played like one continuous movie. <laughs> That's how obsessed I was with trying to get all the Friday 13th because it fit together. The continuity was so spot on across mm-hmm. those first eight. Well, and, and each movie so, usually started with him resurrecting from whatever killed him in the previous movie. And so there is right. a, a connection. Right. So imagine my disappointment when I go to the theater, the first Friday 13th film I actually see in a theater. I go to the theater. I know what you're going to say. see part nine. I'm rolling my eyes. And all of a sudden he's out walking around. I'm like, wait, he he died in the sewers in New York. Like, well, how did he get from point A to point B? Technically it was Toronto. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I didn't like that they broke the continuity there. I actually wrote a small screenplay. Oh my God. When I was a teenager, tying the two about these two New York City trash guys that take this toxic waste out and dump it in the woods and Jason comes back and there he is for part nine. I because <laughs> I just I couldn't get around the fact that you broke continuity and destroyed He's just alive at the start. Understanding the business side of it now that it kind of button up what we were talking about earlier. They probably couldn't use those Friday thirteenth threads mm-hmm. either because they only had the character Jason when the rights changed hands. Yeah. So but that's that was disappointing to me. I actually like that he's just alive at the start. That doesn't bug me at all. As far as Freddy movies, I'm going to cut part two, part five, and part six. So Freddy's Revenge, Dream Child, and Freddy's Dead. For Elm Street, I am going to cut part five, part four, which is Dream Master. And those two are probably the most directly connected of the franchise. They're not as memorable to me. As much as I liked part four. Actually, no, I'll go ahead and cut part four too. Why not? I like Alice, the character Alice, who's the hero in those movies. I think Nightmare 4 is one of the best assembled movies. Like when you watch it, it was made by Rennie Harlan, who did Cliffhanger. Oh, when wow. You, yeah. When you watch 
Nightmare 4, and I know this might sound dismissive or rude for some other movies, but it feels like a real movie. You know, I'm, I'm doing air quotes. Nightmare 4 is very well put together. And so, yeah, part four is more shiny and maybe less horror. A little too goofy. That's when you start to get into Freddy is funny territory. Five is annoying. I don't like the kid. The kid in that is, I just hate him. I don't like looking at him. No offense. Yeah. I'm sure you're a nice person. Freddy's Dead for years, to me, was the worst movie in the franchise. I thought it was awful. And I know opinions change as you grow. I rewatched it recently. It's on HBO Max. I rewatched it and I kind of loved it. The problem is, Freddy. Everything in that movie that's not Freddy is actually really compelling and interesting. The sequences with the, it's like a juvenile facility. The scenes of those kids exploring the town, getting lost, or they discover a fair with no children and it's just sad adults and they get accosted by Roseanne Barr. To watch them get lost and try to figure out what's going on. And there's a lot of creepy non-Freddy imagery. The movie does start with him riding a broomstick and saying, I'll get you my pretty and your little soul too. You know, it's stupid. But there's really creepy airplane stuff. All of the stuff that isn't Freddy is actually kind of good. Yeah, Freddy's dead for all the reasons you just mentioned, plus the fact that it had a little 3D at the end. <laughs> yeah, I do like the old-fashioned uh, red and blue 3D. And if you think about the premise of a Nightmare on Elm Street film, that's the best place for 3D, if you think about yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> well, in the dream world, too, right. yeah. But I will say it, it is, it always has been one of my favorite Freddy movies. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to hold on to that one for right now. I'm going to go ahead and eliminate part one of Nightmare on Elm Street. Really? It was a great film. It's starting to get harder to eliminate these because it, yeah. it's probably my number four. If you're going to eliminate part one, but not Freddy's dead, I'm going to stab you in the face. Well, let me give you, a, <laughs> let, me, uh, <laughs> let me give you some perspective on okay. that. Okay. So... Freddy's Part 2, Revenge of Freddy, would, probably would have been first to go on the entire list. Not to nerd, but it's Freddy's Revenge. But there's a documentary you can watch about it. Scream Queen. Yep. Yeah. And if you change the main character's sexuality and just watch it from that point of view, it makes a much, much more sense. Well, it's been credited as, this is not my quote, don't get mad. It's credited as the gayest horror movie ever made. And they put a lot of subtext or just text in the movie. There's leather clubs, there's towel whippings, there's no girls allowed signs, there's shirtless boys sleeping together. There's a lot of stuff in there where I never caught on to any of that until it was pointed out. And once you know, <laughs> yeah. once once you know and you watch it and it's like, oh. And they were able to, to get that in under the radar. And I would have never, I didn't even pick it up until I saw that doc. And I watched it again and I was like, wow, this is really, they did a really good job getting their message out into a culture that probably wouldn't have accepted it otherwise. For that, I commend them, and that's why it's actually one of my favorite films on this list because of that. Now, I'm yeah. still going to eliminate it just because the quality of the film doesn't really probably hold up to everything else. I do kind of like, well, we'll talk about Friday the 13th Part 5, which is sort of an outlier as well. I do like Nightmare 2. My main issue is that overall, it doesn't really fit with the franchise because they hadn't completely established the rules with Freddy yet. Like, there's a sequence I mentioned at a pool party where Freddy somehow just pops into the real world and starts killing a bunch of kids at a pool party. Even as a kid, after I watched, you know, Nightmare 3 and 4 and 5 when they came out in the Dollar Theater, I saw them at Valley West. When I went back to watch Nightmare 2, I didn't understand because what was happening was breaking the rules that are established throughout the franchise. Not to get hung up on a detail like that, but it was confusing and it doesn't completely fit. So I will cut to, dude, if you keep Freddy's dead, I mean, 
I know I praised it a little bit, but it is called Freddy's Dead, and the Freddy parts are the worst parts of the movie. <laughs> Let's talk about Friday Part 5, A New Beginning, which when you watch it, you can tell it was made by a porno director. It's gritty. It's mean. It's easily the meanest of the franchise. The characters say some horrible things. I believe the body count is highest in that movie of any Jason movie other than maybe Freddy vs. Jason. The problem most people had is that a guy wears a hockey mask and kills people, but it's not Jason. If you take that aside, if you ignore that it's Jason but not Jason, it's a mean, rough, brutal 80s horror movie. And so I kind of love it. I kind of love Friday Part 5, to be honest. Yeah, Friday Part 5 for me, I didn't keep it on my list or I'm not going to because it wasn't Jason. But I will say that it did not break continuity. There's probably more visceral imagery in that film that stuck in my head throughout my life than arguably any of the other films, to be honest. I want to say that it was borderline gratuitous. Again, porno director. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There was a lot in that film that sticks in your head. So I definitely don't think it was was the worst Friday 13th film. Yeah, Um, its reputation is worse than the film actually is versus Jason Takes Manhattan. Which deserves its reputation. It's, it's really Jason takes Toronto via a boat ride. That's what it should have been called. You'll spend 10 minutes in Manhattan with yeah. him at the end. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about that then. So Jason takes Manhattan, which is a great title. It's a great poster. They kept cutting the budget. They couldn't film in New York. And so the film became more and more about him on this boat trip to New York. And so they filmed in Toronto, which was the Jason takes Toronto joke that I made. Part eight has some of the more creative slash humorous kills, like the boxer that gets his head punched off. It's not terrible comparatively to the rest of the franchise, but it's not great. It's really just disappointing. Eight is an easy cut for me. Eight is the worst of the Friday the 13th films out of all 12 of them. Yeah, I'm really not going to fight you on that. Okay. (laughs) Again, you you didn't get what was advertised. Mm -hmm. All the things that I would expect out of New York, I just didn't get a lot of. I'll cut Jason X. I will defend Jason X forever. I think it is ridiculously fun. I enjoy the heck out of it. I can't in good conscience keep it. (laughs) Yeah, I remember Jason X was actually the first film that I ever heard about being actually pirated and available somewhere. It was leaked on the internet before it came out. And this was 2001, I think? Yep. I will say that uh, it was, for me, one of the better Friday 13th films or Jason films. But I will cross it off. And it's a really fine line between fun horror and just fun. And I do want horror. I want horror from these franchises. Yeah, it wasn't as scary as I would have wanted it to be. Never mind as scary. It wasn't scary. It wasn't scary. They didn't even fake the scares. They never even tried to like pretend to scare you. It's just a fun movie. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we're talking about representing the franchise, Jason X is not the go-to example for me. Here's an interesting thought. Have you ever thought that perhaps... The remake or the reboot, Friday the 13th, was Jason's tale from Earth 2, which is where he ended up at the end (laughs) of Jason X. No. Although Jason X has that great part with the sleeping bag kill where they're they're referencing the sleeping bag kill for part seven, which is considered by some to be the best kill in the franchise. And they do it again, but in like a Star Trek holodeck. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was. That was, uh, it was, there were definitely some highlights for that film. Other than Freddy versus Jason, the ones that we haven't talked about are parts four, six, and seven of the Jason movies. And it's more than likely that a lot of fans probably consider these, other than maybe part one, to be the best of the franchise. Whenever people talk about, oh, my favorite one is this, my favorite one is this, you always hear four, six, or seven. Four is 
old school Jason. It's more like the first three. It is just a horror movie. Part four was the first one to put final in the title. It was called The Final Chapter. But then later, Jason Goes to Hell was called The Final Friday. And they both had sequels. <laughs> right. <laughs> so not very final. Proving that nothing can keep Jason down. They supposedly were going to finally kill Jason. He has a great death sequence where he falls and slides on the machete on his head. Part four has way more energy than parts one, two, and three. I still don't love part four. I know it's important because that's the last of the Jason movies before he becomes supernatural. I love six and seven. If you were to ask me on the street, what are the best Jason movies? It's six and seven. For me, I'm going to say that part four was my favorite Friday the 13th okay. film of all of them. The reason that I liked it, the performances. Corey Feldman and Corey Feldman, uh, a yeah. fantastic job. Crispin Glover. Um, it, it was, <laughs> Where's the corkscrew? Yeah, you've just, you've got this, the cabin element was there stronger than it had ever been, in my opinion. Well, and, and just, all the that, teenagers. Was like, the cabin was almost like a character to me for some reason. It felt Well, you like stole I my there. word. I was going to say that the teenagers actually have character. Yeah. They weren't just bland, topless bodies to die. They actually had personalities. Because anyone who has watched a horror movie can tell like, okay, this is the scene where this person's about to die. But you actually liked them before they died, which was new for the franchise. Right. That wasn't normal. You felt more. So I'm not crossing out four yet. Between six and seven, even though I would say they're my favorites, I am going to cross off seven. And that is the one with Lar from our movie Expulsion. I don't really have a good reason to cut seven other than volume, than other, other than what we already have on this list, you know. Six is the one where he comes back to life. Six is the one that introduces the unkillable zombie Jason. It has some really creative kills. It injects a ton of humor into the franchise. But because, unlike Freddy, Jason isn't making the jokes. It's everyone else who's sort of an idiot making a stupid joke and getting killed. Part six balances that line between being fun and still being a horror movie without getting stupid. At least to me. Seven doesn't really get stupid either. Seven is very much tonally like part six. Six is the better of them, I think. Yeah, part six grew on me over the years. I remember when I first saw it, I thought it was just too goofy, was mm -hmm. my general thought for some reason. After watching it over again and over again over the years, it didn't get as stale as quick. And, and it really, it, it was entertaining. It was a different spin on the same material. Mm -hmm. So it's like not only was Jason coming back, but he was coming back and he was noticeably different right. than he was before he was supernatural. Um, I felt like they continued that very nicely in part seven. And if I had to compare the two, the makeup and Kane Hodder's performance and just the whole idea of Tina um, and, and sort of bringing that element into it, where now the good guys have supernatural abilities, not just the bad guys, part seven gets the slight edge. So I'm really? going to cross off six and keep seven. Well, you can keep both. <laughs> We're getting down to it, though. Yeah, so I, I know. Wanna, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cross six off, keep seven. We're going to change gears back to Freddy real quick. The one we haven't talked about is The Dream Warriors Part 3, which by a lot of fans is considered to be the best, and I'm going to kind of agree. I love Dream Warriors. I think it is the perfect Freddy film. It's still scary. Like, there's some freaky imagery in it, but they start to introduce humor. Nothing too crazy, because it's still teenagers in a psychiatric facility. What I really like about Dream Warriors that makes it so different from the other films, and also a lot of horror films, they all believe in Freddy and they all work against him together because most movies, there's somebody who knows there's a killer and then their friends don't believe them, but there's always a doubter and then people get picked off one by one. But in Dream Warriors, very early in the film, you have an entire group 
that believes. They don't doubt each other and they all help each other use dream powers to fight him. This is a group that is like actively fighting this thing. Dream Warriors was the best Nightmare on Elm Street film because it flips the script. So you're taking a place of escape for most people is a dream, right? This one, they're trapped in the real world in the psychiatric facility where they can't get out. So they have these dreams and now they're trapped in their dreams. So they've got this double terror coming from both sides. Mm -hmm. They can never get this freedom, but they learn how to take the dream world. So it's their place to flourish where they have these superpowers and it becomes their their weapon. They Mm -hmm. kind of flip the script on Spready. It really was fresh. I think it was a great film. The group dynamic really brings a lot to it because that is something even today you don't really see in horror. An example I always use when we talk about like the Halloween franchise like we did where Lori doesn't even know there's a killer or that she's in danger until the end. That makes your main character not really active in the plot of the film until the end sequence. Right. Yeah, that's a very good point. And very so, good point. And in Nightmare 3, you have a whole group of people developing their dream powers to fight this guy together. They are a support system for each other. Like when one of the characters is dreaming and and is being led like a puppet off the building, a whole group of kids are yelling, trying to wake him up. Right. And there's always a sequence of usually one character yelling at someone else like, wake up. But to hear four or five voices all together trying to save this this guy, it's such a minor difference, but it makes a difference. Agreed. Yeah, it was a a brilliant idea, a great way to, to reinvigorate the franchise. And again, it gave you the opposite of what you thought you were going to see when you didn't even know that you wanted to see it. I am kind of leaning towards crossing off part one as well. I hate to do it. Johnny Depp's debut? In my Johnny Depp episode, I did save it. Uh, he's not great in it, but <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I'm not crossing it off yet. I, I'm, I'm really torn. So that only leaves Freddy versus Jason as one we haven't talked about. I love it. I love Freddy versus Jason so much. I love the way they bring them together because it's not like a boxing match in hell, which was actually one of the ideas uh, where Pinhead was going to be the referee. The idea of Freddy using Jason to make people believe in Freddy again is kind of cool. Some of the characters are eh. Like there's one character who is clearly meant to be Jay from Jay and Silent Bob. And one of the singers from Destiny's Child drops a homophobic slur in a really awkward way that's very strange to watch now. No excuse for it back then, but it's extra weird now. And so in that regard, it's not perfect. But I actually do like some of the other characters, and I just love the the fight. When when Freddy and Jason finally fight, unlike, say, Alien vs. Predator, where there's hardly any verses in it, or Batman v. Superman, where there's hardly any V in it, <laughs> the fight between Freddy and Jason is amazing. Like, I could watch that right now and still love it. It's like a wrestling match. Yeah. Like chopping off the little ends of the uh, the, the, the oxygen canisters so they mm. shoot out. At. Yeah. I mean, it was – the the fight scene was amazing. Yeah. Uh, they, they did not disappoint mm-hmm. in their battle for those two mega properties to come together head to head. And it was a huge hit. And weirdly, they did not make another one. They worked on Freddy versus Jason versus Ash for the longest time. Yep. That's right. Which would have been awesome. Uh, there aren't a lot of horror movie heroes. There are people who live – but there aren't many horror franchises that are about the hero. And so Evil Dead is one of those, one of the rare ones where it's about Ash. And if they brought Ash into it, that would have been cool. That would have, yeah. Could you imagine a Freddy versus Jason versus Michael Myers? I think Michael Myers would get his ass kicked though, wouldn't he? Yeah, because he's not supernatural. Well, okay, minus the Cult of Thorn or whatever nonsense. (laughs) I'm ignoring that. But generally, he's not supernatural. So I don't know what they would have done there. That does leave me with Nightmare 1 and 3. 
Friday, four, five, and six, and Freddy versus Jason. So I have six, and I have to cut three. I have uh, Nightmare three. I have Nightmare six. Freddy's dead. I have Friday two, Friday three, and Friday seven left. And four. And four. So I'm going to go ahead and catch up. Okay, so off mic, I told him he needs to stop holding on to movies and just (laughs) eliminate them because- It's hard to do when you love these films. I mean, I have six, I know, but you have eight? I have seven, you're right. You have seven, okay. Well, I'm going to catch up. I will cross off Friday two. I will cross off Friday three. Why though? I don't feel like you got that iconic Jason that we've all come to love um, mm-hmm. that really kept the franchise generating Well, it's true. Revenue. Yeah, he really wasn't the Jason that we knew Right, yet. until really part four. Really part four, yeah. So that was that's probably the single biggest reason. But in terms of like standalone horror movies, like if I'm going camping and we want to watch a film, you know, and, and get scared, I'm going to watch like a two or part two or three because they're just more gritty, you know, and part four is two, but- they're gritty where you get a little bit more kind of popcorn flicky mm. and poppy after, I think, part four. To get the best of both worlds, it's part four. I'm going to go ahead and cross off Friday Five because it's not Jason, not really. I like that one. I got to get rid of something. And I'm going to go ahead. I hate to do it. I'm going to go ahead and cross off Friday Part Four. I agree with everything you said where it's that perfect balance between the first few movies and the Jason that we know. I mean, I do have parts four and six left, and between them, I like six more. I think I think Zombie Jason, as we would maybe call him, is a more entertaining film. I know I could keep both of them. I'm not, so I'm going to cross off four. And that's what I love about the show, putting us in these positions where we have to eliminate movies that we like. Like, I don't have a good reason to get rid of four. <laughs> yeah, this is a really hard episode, arguably the hardest that I've done, I think. It's hard because I love these films. They're my two, two of my most favorite franchises for horror especially ever well you're star wars nut though and you did cross off return of the jedi i did you kept rogue one right i kept rogue one i still don't like rogue one so of the jason movies then i only have part six and freddy versus jason uh i'm gonna keep part six that is gonna survive so would it be wrong to keep well you're the wrong person to ask because you already crossed it off but would it be wrong to keep freddy versus jason but not nightmare on elm street part one because part one is the defining original film. It's the one that launched the franchise. And Freddy vs. Jason is just a silly wrestling match with horror icons. I think they can stand on their own. I think you're okay. Am I keeping Freddy vs. Jason only because of that incredible end sequence? Because the lead actress is awful. Uh, She's terrible in that movie. But I like Nancy. Nancy's iconic from the first Nightmare, and she came back in part three, which I'm still holding on to. I'm going to cross off Freddy vs. Jason, Mm -hmm. and I'll tell you why. I thought it was a great film. Visually, Ronnie Yu just nailed it. But I feel like some of the characters just out of nowhere just came across goofy, like it didn't fit. There you is... mentioned the, the the Jay parody, yeah. but also the, the main police officer. Mm-hmm. I don't even know who it was. Lachlan Monroe. He always plays silly characters. He played a, like in comedies, played weird. I, I don't know. It just didn't. There were some weird casting choices like in that the, film. The brother in that movie is the ginger bully from A Christmas Story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There were some weird casting choices. It was the wrong idea. Didn't fit. Yeah. yeah. All but, right. So that that swayed me. Uh, based on the characters and the actors, I'm going to cross off Freddy versus Jason, which means I have my three. What about you? I've got four. The last one that I'm going to cut is going to be uh, Freddy's Dead. Good. Um, <laughs> I, I did like the film. I thought it was, there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. You could feel the budget restraints a little bit on that film. The 3D was probably expensive, but it does feel kind of cheap. As much as we like these franchises, 
they came out almost yearly, kind of like the Saw and Paranormal movies. Yep. Nightmare on Elm Street from part one to Freddy's Dead was 1984 to 1991. Seven years, six movies. And from Friday the 13th part one to Jason Goes to Hell, at least, nine movies, 13 years from 1980 to 1993. And there was only a gap in there between parts eight and nine, really. Right. Parts one through eight came out, I think, yearly from the very beginning all the way to Jason Takes Manhattan. All right. So what are your three? My final three are... A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Friday the 13th Part 4, and Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood. As for me, for the last time, now playing this week at Valley West Cinemas are A Nightmare on Elm Street, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors, and Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. I would say, what do you think? Let us know on Twitter and Instagram, but let's be honest, you're not going to. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that last one in there. As always, I'm your host, Aaron. Thank you very much, Sean, for joining us this one final time. You're very welcome. All right, and maybe we'll be back one day. Who knows? You never know what tomorrow will bring. But for now, thank you for listening. <laughs>